I'm Lou Conran. And I am Sally Ann Hayward. We're a pair of comedians who've been known to enjoy an alcoholic beverage or ten over the years, sometimes separately, sometimes together. But it's occurred to us that we know nothing about the drinks that we love to quaff, and that unbelievably, there will be some types of liquor out there that we are not acquainted with. And as we hate missing out, we thought we'd invite some celebrity pals to recommend their go-to tipple and drink along with us while we make them dish the most embarrassing booze-related tales. And then we give our honest verdict if we are going to spit or swallow. So if it's gross, we drank it so you don't have to. And it's definitely not just an excuse to open up the drinks cabinet on a Monday night. Heaven forbid. Hello Lou, what have you been doing today? Oh, Sally Ann Hayward. I'll tell you what I've been doing. Full name. Do you have a middle name? Anyway. No. No, good. You don't need one. I'll tell you what I've been doing today. I've been mostly blowing my nose with hay fever, which has decided to uh, set upon me. Do you know what you could have done as well with the guest that we're interviewing now? You could have asked him about hay fever. You only asked him about pooing, didn't you? I did, but that was more important at the time. Um, Mm. But maybe we could just ring him back up and get him back on and talk about other things. I think we should. I think that would really please him as a doctor as well. Really please him. Yeah, Doctor Phil Hammond, not hammered. Doctor Phil Hammond. No, no, no. Hammond. 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 He's a very funny man, and he's a very clever man, isn't he? I was out of my depth with that intelligent lots. people i know no 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 oh gosh lots uh, of drunk stories but he managed to evade the question didn't yeah. he, a little bit by telling us drunk stories that incorporated other people yeah what a clever man and i wish i'd have learned to do that shall we listen yes so lou i've had a good week because i've got myself a patio heater have from you? aldi yeah oh. tell us about you we I, well i circled all aldis of bristol yeah. and eventually got one and um i'm delighted great well do you know what i've had i've had a reasonable week i'm so pleased that we've got dr phil hammond as our guest tonight because i know he probably gets sick of people asking him doctory type questions but i need to, is it your bowels it is yeah i just haven't had a shit <laughs> for a good couple of days and that's that's not bad for you. I know. It's getting better, but Dr. Phil, hello, welcome. We'll hello. get to your drink in a minute. How can that's you right. make me shit? With a coffee. Oh, uh, yes. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> the coffee's pretty good. Are you in the getting the correct position? Have you changed your position recently? Well, listen, I've got a squatty potty, which ah. has helped. So I've got my knees up. Yes. Yes. You've got to get is... your hips below your knees. That's yeah, really important. Yeah. Yes. Do you think it's the alcohol consumption that may be preventing me from shitting properly? That is the commonest reason that people oh. dry up a bit. In oh, fact, I remember fuck. speaking to Adrian Childs. Adrian Childs uh, went to his GP. I'm sure he won't mind me saying this because it's <laughs> too late now. Record. <laughs> uh, with hemorrhoids, and the hemorrhoids were because he became so dehydrated because oh. uh, he was drinking too much that he oh. was really pushing. So oh. yes, commonest reason probably in lockdown is too much alcohol. Yes, and I you do need- have um, a little boy's tongue hanging out my bum hole as well. That might yeah. be a hemorrhoid, surely, uh, or it might be, or it might be a little does boy's it, tongue. Does it, it pops on, Does it pop in again easily? Yes, I can shove it and up. Don't go back in. Oh, that's yes. all right then. That's yeah. fine. Nothing yeah. to worry about. It's when they know, come out, they don't go back up in. You're in trouble. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just drink more water then. Anyway, drink it's a bad. Water, it's a but bad. the thing is that yeah. the old ladies get constipated because they have dodgy hips, yeah. and so they yeah. uh, uh, can't get on and off the toilet, and so they have something to raise the seat. But then that doesn't put them in the natural position for unfurling the rectum. So what you need um, to do is I'm get your toenails. 
Unfolding. I need to unfurl. It's sort of S-shaped. Yes. And so if you squat, yes. it naturally unfurls the rectum and, and you oh. can give birth in the same position. Great. But if you go Warm. too high, then it, it cramps up again. So you need a stool stool, which means you sit on your raised seat. Yes. But you have a stool stool that then yeah. raises your feet and then you can kick it away when you've pooed and then get yeah. off again. Oh, thank you. Sometimes so a stool stool is what I recommend. I, Sometimes I, what I do is I get right stand on the loo and yeah. squat. The Japanese do that. Yeah. Right. And do you know, and Dr. Phil, can I ask you one quick, one more question? <laughs> yeah. Is it true that um the the, the 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 people that do always go to the toilet like that by squatting don't suffer with constipation? I think less so. They also hmm. probably the kind of people who do that also eat a lot of fibrous vegetables. Oh. There's always a confounding variable. People who squat to poo, you can be pretty certain pluck things uh, off the tree and, and out of the ground rather than eat ultra-processed sugary crap. So I think it's probably mm. a combination of the two things. Well, that won't be me because I've had a bilateral something or other op- operation oh, on no. both of my knees and I can't bend. She's so. going to bring everything to the party I am. now, isn't I she? Am. She really is. I am. So, anyway. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. I mean, we're going to call you Dr. Phil, not Philip. Well, we might do. We might call you Dr. Philip when we're okay. telling you off. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to tell you off yet. Um, no. We're going to ask you what drink you have brought to the Spit or Swallow bar. I didn't realise it was a Spit or Swallow bar. I thought it was just a drink and you might be interviewing me in the morning. So the reason I chose coffee oh. is coffee is my stimulant of the morning. It's my drug of choice. Oh, does mm-hmm. that help you to unfurl your rectum? Yeah, no, coffee is really good for a poo, right. provided mm-hmm. you're not dehydrated. So make sure your wee is straw-coloured or lighter. So oh. when you're doing your first morning pee, it's usually a bit dark. Yeah. So you need to be drinking enough water, preferably. Uh, and then a good coffee will, uh, yeah, that, that stimulates the... The other bit. The muscle receptors and gets it going. So it's a nice combination. And I work best in the morning. So when I get up, I really look forward to my first coffee of the day. Mm, right. But I'm drinking a bit too much at the moment. So the mm. reason I chose grind house blend coffee, it's almost like a session coffee. Uh, it's not one that will absolutely take your head off. It's if you know oh, okay. you're going to be in and having a few coffees in the morning. Uh, and my daughter, my lovely daughter, Ellie, bought it for me for Christmas. Uh, with a couple of vodkas, so we could have like a vodka espresso when we were feeling like it later Ooh. on and get a bit giggly. Right. So it's a number of reasons. I like the taste of the coffee um, and it reminds me of my daughter. Oh, how nice. lovely. Up in oh. London and I haven't seen her for ages. And, oh, gosh. Uh, how old so is your I'm, daughter? That's a very good question. I'm going to say 24. Great. Let's go with I'll, that. Give or take a year or so, I would say. She Smashing. followed you in the foot in the medical footsteps. No, I thought she might be a vet, and she would have been a very good vet. But she decided to do English at oh. university, and then decided for some reason to do law, which I was a bit dubious about. But she likes winning an argument, does Great. Ellie? And she's <laughs> she's got this training contract with HMRC, which I guess <gasps> I thought would be absolutely dreadful, and she'd yeah. come after my tax and VAT. Uh, but she's fascinated by the fact that whether you pay VAT on a Jaffa cake and not on a penguin, it all depends cakes on the amount of biscuits. The, the cakes we, and biscuits. So we've had this really, previously, Phil. She's this Jason Manford. Yeah, Never that. mind sanitary products, whether it's a Jaffa cake or a, a biscuit. It's really interesting debate. So she's know, enjoying doing that. I reckon a what? Jaffa cake would soak up. I was anyway, to say, you could use that, <laughs> yeah. couldn't you? you I could think so. Use that. And you could fun. use a penguin as a tampon. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you're always going to have a safety net, haven't you? Always yes. have a safety net. Always, or, always. I don't need one now because I am barren and dry, Phil. But anyway, right. I've got a selection of um, liqueurs here, <laughs> which I'm going to I'm going to give you the option as to which one I pour into my coffee. So, okay. Phil, you do you start, Luke? Okay, I've got. Um, I've got. Ba- Why don't you try the coffee without it? First, oh yeah, oh yeah. We well, do that. all right. Okay. Oh, Go cheers. On. 
Oh, fuck me. I've made a really strong one. You always do. Yeah, okay. I do. It's really nice, though, well, isn't it? Is. The, it's the, made the, me const- sneeze. the constipation could be um, unfurling. Yeah. <laughs> Bless you. Oh. Made me sneeze, that coffee. Um, oh. I like it. I brought two mm. sorts of milk with it, me as well. Um, I brought the um, semi skimmed, general, usual green mm-hmm. top, and also yeah. the organic oat milk. Oh. Ah. Which one would you recommend that goes into that, Phil? <laughs> Well, see, I'm black. I have I everything am. black, so I've I don't. And I know there yeah. is lots. You can have an oat milk and an almond milk and a whatever me... milk, lactose-free milk, and they're all a bit confusing. Today, yeah. I had um, an, a gluten-free bit of panettone and an, oat mi- and an oat milk coffee, and I've never felt more depressed. Oh God, um, let's sort that out then. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go black. I'm gonna join you guys. Yeah, it's delicious, actually. I mean, this will put hairs on your doodars, but. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And you've made yours in a pod thing, and I've made mine in one of these French press things. No, that's not a French press, is it? Anyway, it's a Swiss machine thing, and it's really strong, which is why I need I to... I think it's good. They, they say unless you're heavily pregnant, I think caffeine is pretty good. There's all, you know, you can pick any copy of the Daily Mail at random, and they'll say coffee good, coffee bad, depending on mm. which page you turn to. But generally, I think it's pretty good, unless you have very high blood pressure or you're mm. heavily pregnant with high blood pressure. I think caffeine is good. Probably Ooh. reduces your risk of bowel cancer a bit by clearing oh. things through. Possibly oh. even dementia. And, and really? People's, people's performance, your comedy performance will improve with just the right amount of caffeine. It's a bit like alcohol. You don't want to get too jittery. If you go beyond the therapeutic window, then you get a bit yeah. anxious and jittery. I, and, you know, so there's just the right amount of caffeine and alcohol is needed for... When when oh. we were allowed to work, I would always have a really strong coffee 10 minutes mm. before I went on stage, and that did the job. Mm. That's great. And they never yeah. asked you back. Nope. Well, the danger is if you have a little bit too much, you speak very quickly. I found that I speak mm. too quickly anyway. But I found if I get too caffeinated mm. before performing, then yeah, yeah, I'm just off. I'm off maybe, on one. Maybe I'll I remember. S- go on, sorry. I remember talking to my friend once, and I was chatting away to her for ages. Then I went to her. I've, I've had a lot of coffee, haven't I? And she went, I was wondering what was wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're normally like that anyway. But imagine, I do, imagine I get you quite want, excited. Yeah. But it does muck up your sleep. But mm. interestingly, probably not as much as alcohol. If you're going to no. drink, it's best from a sleeping point of view. It's best to drink in the morning. I know that doesn't sound terribly <laughs> <Great>. medical, but <laughs> but alcohol also uh, takes a while to get out of the system, and you think it will help you sleep better, and it doesn't. No, uh, I know that you don't. You don't get the both the phases of sleep. You need it. There's two phases of sleep. There's like a sculpture. You need to get your clay, and then you need to sculpt it into a beautiful sculpture. <gasps> and alcohol wipes one of those out, so you don't get proper restorative sleep Gosh. with your red wine and your pyroton or whatever you do on a. I do. You know, Saturday, Saturday I can evening. Listen to get you some... I, I could listen to this. I know, but Dr. Phil, it. Sally, yeah. now you have mocked me before when I have taken an antihistamine before mm. I've drunk my wine. Oh, yes, I have. I oh. always have an antihistamine before I drink my wine, Dr. Phil. And I you find. Always. No, I don't. <laughs> but most of the time when I remember, have an antihistamine before I drink my wine. And I find that the wine doesn't affect me that much. <laughs> so full of shit. You get a nasty hangover. The anticholinergics are the quite strong, and like Pyroton, which is the one you buy really cheaply over the counter that really knock, knocks your kids out. Yeah. Uh, it, it takes 24 hours to get out of the system. So <gasps> it actually, you're probably dangerous to drive the morning after a Pyroton. So you've got to oh. be a bit careful with that. Just All right, warning then. you there. Well, let's, you know. let's crash Next. on then. Okay. Well, crash we... on. <laughs> <laughs> right, Dr. Phil, you get to decide. I've got yeah. a Baileys, 
I've got Kahlua, I've got Cointreau, or I've got a single malt whiskey. Which would you like me to have in my coffee? Ooh, ooh. Wow. Ooh, that's... Uh, I, I mean, Kahlua and coffee probably go well, don't they? Try a bit of Kahlua. Mm. All right. Be lovely. Okay. What about, you went so what about, Gosh, what about yeah. me? I've got a vodka. I've got a, I've got a, mm. a little rogue Baileys called Ballycastle. I've got a Kahlua as well, and I've got a whiskey. And I've got the milks, but try let's forget the them. vodka. Try a vodka oh, espresso. Just stick a little tot of that in there. Let's do I'm that. I'm just going to mix this up with my pen. Okay, I've got a, I've got an Aldi vodka because I always think if you're going to stick vodka into another drink, don't use your nice stuff. No. Use the shit. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. How much was that from Aldi? About a tenner, if that. Let's pop oh. that back on. Have you oh, got have, a, you, a, have you got a spirit in your coffee? Have you gone bareback? I've bare already back? popped. I've already popped one of Ellie's expresses in there because I think ah. it was past past the witching hour of what is it? Half six now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Cheers. 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 Mm. I've Very never nice. had vodka in coffee before. That's nice, isn't it? It's not bad. Vodka is it? in coffee. Yeah, I like that. Never done it before. I can't taste my Kahlua, so I'm going to have to put some more in. <laughs> I reckon that I could, I'm going to drink about half of this and then I'm going to put Kahlua in as well. <gasps> oh, I might put Cointreau in mine as well. And you some whiskey. You don't do this uh, this podcast every evening, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> we've had to stop. We did. and we, Yeah, we've just had to stop doing that now and just do it once a week. It's important so- to, to pleasure yourself in a safe and sustainable way. Very important. I can't be seen to be... No, promoting absolutely. Un- unsafe pleasuring. Ha- hashtag drink aware, pleasure aware. I know we'll get off the doctor thing in a minute because I'm sure you get fed up oh, with no, people you're not asking. Oh, you ask more questions. Yeah, I, am, I are just you? want to know. You know when? Oh, when I'm when, sorry, Phil. Don't apologise for me, Sally. You apologise for yourself. Well, I'm apologising because I asked Phil to come on the podcast. Okay, well then this is your fault. So you should <laughs> apologise, uh, Doctor Phil. You know when people come in to talk to you and you say, how many units of alcohol do you drink a week? Obviously, for me and Sally, we when you say, oh, 14 bottles a week, is that Buckets. acceptable? What What is the limit, please, that we should be drinking a week? It's gone down since I started. It used to be 28 and 21. Um, well, is that like 28 for men, 21 for women? No, units. And a unit is a single, I mean, it's much less than you think a unit. It's a, oh. a, a small glass of wine. Oh, shit. A single spirit oh. uh, or half half a pint of ordinary strength lager or beer. So a unit is always much less than you think. Oh. Um, and we tend to at least double what people say. Yeah. There's the old joke about an alcoholic is somebody who drinks more than their doctor. And it's hard for doctors because our coping mechanism traditionally has been quite. Um, alcohol-based. I've been and, out drinking and, with doctors. And so doctors aren't terribly good. I mean, they feel a bit hypocritical telling you to cut down a bit. Mm. Um, and the, the idea now, I guess, is to try, is see if you can have a couple of days off. If you can have a couple of days off a week without crawling up the stairs or seeing the spiders and all the rest of it, that's okay. Mm. But oh, I, I like this. I did um, my last shot at fame, which went very badly. I was a, a <laughs> presenting something called Long Live Britain, which was oh. my big relaunch on BBC One. I haven't done much on BBC One with Juliet Bradbury and Phil Tufnell for some reason. And it was all wow. about health, <laughs> health with Phil Tufnell. Um, and it was going to go out prime time. And it didn't go out prime time because Prince Harry had one of his babies at the same time and everything oh. was bumped. But we put a lot of effort into this. But my section of the show was to interview celebrities or people who had once been a celebrity but now wanted to get on to primetime television to talk about their habits. So the idea is we were going to pick up the early stages of diabetes or alcoholic liver disease 
before it had happened Mm -hmm. to try and stop it progressing too much. And we had all these scans and tests and things. And I interviewed, I guess, a dozen celebrities, um, most of whom were on knocking back at least a bottle of wine a night and sometimes more. And just as a matter of fact, so almost like doctors, they were what I call high-functioning alcoholics. They didn't really know, didn't stop them. They were going out, they were gigging, they were broadcasting, they were doing everything else. At least one of them on the fibrous scan, which is this scan to see how stiff your liver is and how close it is to cirrhosis, had frank cirrhosis. Oh. Edwina Curry was the only one with a clean bill of health. And all the others, instead of catching them at an early stage of disease, they all had established disease. So. Oh. Edwina Curry would have got rid of hers with that salmonella, wouldn't she? She probably would have got rid of it out of the system. So there's a lot of us who are sort of, you know, you don't really realise. I think the secret is to try and have two days off a week if you can. Oh, I'm loving this advice. Phil, um, there must be loads of drunk stories, particularly from your um, medical student days. Have you got any classic drunk drunk stories you can share with us? My favourite drunk story is actually written in a book by a chap called Stephen Westerby, who's a cardiac surgeon. Uh, who called himself right. Jaws. He's one of those old-style cardiac surgeons. I call myself Jaws because I cut open anything day or night. And <laughs> it's quite scary. <laughs> and he tells this story in his book about being in the pub a bit pissed and an emergency comes in and he's called into the operating theatre. In those days, it wasn't unusual because everyone was on call for 168 hours a week because, you know, you're on call all the time. And he was desperate for a pee and he knew it was a big cardiac operation. And he thought he'd be okay because he was used to operating when he'd had a few drinks. But the trouble was he would need to pee. So he catheterized himself as he went into the operating theatre and fed the catheter down into his boots. So while he was doing open heart surgery on someone, he was filling up his boots and he said, by the end of the operation, you could feel my boots squelching and, and urine was popping over the edge of them. But, but the patient survived. Could be complete bollocks, but it's in his book. Uh, Stephen Westerby, I don't know what, I can't remember what the autobiography is called. But that was, it was almost like the established coping mechanism. They didn't really train you at medical school how to be a doctor. It was sort of a diversionary period before you went over the top, a bit like going (laughs) over the top in the wall and did your 120 hours a week. So they sort of encouraged you to drink 10 pints, drop your trousers and pee in somebody's flower bed. So you didn't ask awkward questions like, why do junior doctors work 120 hours a week for no money and kill patients when they're tired? So it's like trapping you with alcoholism. Oh, oh, wow. and I have a few friends who've carried on drinking very heavily and and bit the dust, and some who've managed to cut back from their medical school Ooh. drinking days. But some of them have had two days off a week. Yeah. They have, and I think to be fair, it was seventy percent men when I trained, and now there are more women. I think medicine has become kinder and more compassionate, <laughs> uh, and there's less less of that really big gallows humour that we used to have. So all the women you now see on Twitter and social media talking about the NHS, they're, they're great but, and they're terribly earnest. And the, and the really dark humour that we used to have, people are hiding away in the doctor's mess saying, oh, gosh, we can't let this out. I mean, Adam Kay has done it very successfully, but Adam gave up being a doctor. You know, when you're yeah. still a doctor these days, you're so scrutinised that your old coping mechanism of drinking a lot and taking the piss out of your patients is now hidden away. Because yeah. it's seen as unprofessional, whereas I and made my common. career out of it originally. Yeah. So, so, so you've you've told us a story about one of your colleagues. Yes. What about you, Phil? What have you done that you are willing to share with us? It's only me and Sally here. Don't worry. Let's let's. You can tell us, but, but it's fine. 
Well, my nickname at medical school was Dr. Fumblefingers. Because um, <laughs> For what reason? I think, well, exactly. You would oh. think, what a fabulous gynecologist. It was because I was terrible, had terrible hand-eye coordination. So I've always had the gift of the gab. But I'm not. I, no way could I ever be a surgeon. But of course, you have to do uh, a, a surgical house job. So there were I was put in positions as a house officer where I was assisting in operations, having to do operations. And my first job was for Mr. May, who was a surgeon at French A Hospital in Bristol. Uh, and I turned up, and he's uh, this bloke had come into casualty into the emergency department with a sebaceous cyst on the Ooh. top of his head. So this is a completely harmless cyst. In no way is it ever an emergency. You don't need to turn up to casualty with that. And his punishment was for me, the house officer, Dr. Fumblefingers, to remove it <laughs> on my first day. Oh, no. I, I said to Mr. May, are you going to come down and supervise? He, no, he said, there's a book. It's called <laughs> Procedures in Practice, page 14, Removing Sebaceous Cyst. And I got down there and I opened the book and it said, um, sebaceous cysts are never malignant. They don't turn into cancer, but they can reseed unless you take them out with a wide elliptical excision. And it's on the top of this bloke's head and I put a lot of local anaesthetic in and then I remove this cyst with a very wide <laughs> elliptical excision. I take it off, I pop it in the pot and I realise I've taken a huge hole <laughs> out of his head. And I thought, well, I can't call out the plastic surgeons on my first day at the house. They're going to think I'm a complete ass. So I got the suture material, and with all my might, I tried to get these skin flaps together. This bloke's ears went up about three inches on either side. Like an instant facelift. And I finally managed to get the skin flaps together, and I whipped my gloves off with a flourish, and I realised I'd sutured a glove to the top of his head. No! It was like the last of the Mohicans. Bless, in those days you didn't admit if you made a mistake. I said, that's just a new dressing we're trying out at the hospital. And he was lovely. He said, thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor, for all you've done. I remember he was pleased as punch as he walked out of the theatre. Looking like a cockerel. So, yeah, that was my surgical career. And Mr. May was also very keen on um, laparoscopes. Laparoscopes are like the keyhole surgery we started doing guess in the late 80s when I first qualified and he was very keen on doing it and he would spring surprises. So on days when you weren't supposed to be in the operating theatre, he would suddenly do an emergency appendicectomy with his new laparoscope. And I hated being in the operating theatre because I was always cutting the sutures too short or too long or whatever. And I'd been out for a curry the night before and I'd had a good old Merg Masal herpes and a Limeswold bargie and I was pretty, you know... And I, he calls me in the next morning to help in theatre when I'm not expecting it. And I'm holding some piece of equipment and he's trying to remove this appendix through his laparoscope and it's going very well. And then out from me emerges the most unpleasant, <laughs> silent but deadly fart. You know, really bad morning after curry fart, but silent. And the nurse goes, I smell feces. And the doctor goes, I smell feces too. And Mr. May says, damn, I must have perforated the bowel. I'll oh, no. open him up. Oh, <gasps> No. So here's Dr. Phil. I've got two choices. Do I put my hand up and say, excuse me, sir, I made that heinous smell in your operating <laughs> theatre. Can, can I have my reference now? Or do I stay silent and watch this poor sod open up like a zip while they search for the non-existent hole in his bowel? Um, and uh, I came up with a third way. It's very clever. And I leant forward very quietly to Mr. May and I said, I think it was sister. No. That was, that was it. And sister never forgave me. It's the worst thing you can do as a junior doctor is to piss off the nurses. Uh, I got nicely out of that scrape and then the nurses never forgave me. They saw me as a, a bit of a joker who didn't own up to his own, um, own mistakes. So that was probably the worst thing I did as a junior doctor. Never upset the nurses. It's a golden rule. Uh, oh. and 
do you know with nurses and doctors I've been out drinking with both and um and I th- and other civilians and I think nurses and doctors get the most drunk out of anybody I've ever been out with mm. ever and I I remember going out with my friend Steve who Lou has now called MRI Steve haven't you you've called him yep. MRI Steve that's my name Steve. for him yeah because he let me have an MRI and um I don't think I've been... As a friend, out. like a social MRI, or did you actually need no, it? I, no, well, I thought I had a little bit of a dodgy hip and he just went, mm-hmm. oh, I'll go through it. You can go through the tunnel. I quite enjoyed it, actually, the MRI scanner. Mm. I was worried that I was going to be a bit nervous, but I was fine. And then I said, I was saying to another doctor, and I did think, well, if I get a bit nervous, I can always struggle out. And he went, well, not if you're massively overweight and then you have to go to the zoo mm. for an MRI. I love that. So, anyway. Yeah. I am digressing, but I do enjoy that very much. The fact that people have to go to the zoo for an mm. MRI. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's one of the best things in the world. Anyway, um, and I said to another doctor friend, I said, is that true? And he went, yeah. MRI Steve, actually. He went, yeah, when I worked in Manchester, we used to send them off to Chester Zoo. I went, oh, God, this is wow. fantastic. Anyway, wow. but, but um, I've, never, I've never been out with anybody who's got so drunk. You must have so, you must have drunk stories of your own, Phil, where you've been out and got absolutely embarrassingly shit-faced. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, tell us. Have, that's what uh, we want. That's what we want. There was a St. Thomas's drinking club, and because St. Thomas's and the police used to look out for each other, uh, you were allowed to go around uh, and uh, students at St. Thomas's were allowed to urinate in the street, apparently, if they did it oh. on the, the back left rear wheel of a taxi carriage or something under some ancient law and you weren't supposed to be prosecuted. And uh, a lot of us would go out and then assume that you could urinate anywhere, which is uh, it's just not a great way to behave. But I can remember being on um, Waterloo, Fire, Waterloo Station and uh, with a chap called Jeff. He's now quite a senior GP, so I won't give you his surname. And he decided, well, he was so desperate, he peed in the fire bucket on Waterloo Station, <laughs> was arrested by transport police. And then in a very, very, because he was in black tie, very, very posh boys trying to explain through the law why it was absolutely okay. It's absolutely appropriate, absolutely nothing here. And it's almost like, it's what posh privilege, when you look at Boris Johnson now and yeah. people who are very posh and very privileged thinks that it buys them a certain get-out-of-jail card. You can imagine if... Boris was caught, you know, peeing in a fire bucket or with a pole dancer or something. He would have, you know, he'd pay the privilege card and things would be absolutely... So my stories of of drunkenness at medical school are are tinged with a slightly unpleasant privilege where generally we probably got off with things we shouldn't have done. Okay. Um, And, uh, yeah, and I look back on it and I really enjoyed it. I have to say, I was always Commander Biddly Bums, so that (laughs) meant I was always in charge of the drinking games because I didn't want to drink a pint of vomit or urine mm. or anything else. Better but enough. if you were Commander Billy Bums, you could make somebody else do it. So I Like was what? What games the... did you play then? So you'd have to make somebody drink something really horrible. My favourite one was Flaming A's, which is a very old game where two people sit. You've probably played this or you can play it tonight. And, and but We can play it now. You drop your trousers and you get, someone stands on a bar stool there and someone on another... And then you take a roll of lavatory paper and you unfurl it and you clutch it in between their buttocks. So one one end and one the other. And then you light it in the middle. And obviously it burns both ways. And the person still standing wins the flaming age. Brilliant. So that's the sort of a... Brilliant. But sadly, but they... we can't do it with social distancing. And then the other great game they used to play is bleep roulette. So the junior doctors had come in and they'd all put their bleeps in the centre and they would pick one out at random. So the psychiatrist would, would have to carry the surgeon's bleep. <laughs> 
and the surgeon would carry the psychiatrist. Please. I would imagine that was very dangerous and not something I would condone. And of course, it wouldn't happen now. Uh, wow, but it was, it was but that, it those does. days where you would work very long hours, but with no accountability. So yeah. since. Was it like Carry yeah. On Doctor? Was it just like a Carry On it, film? It, it probably was. I mean, my, I guess my issue with it is that I started off being a drunken bum, rugger hearty. And then when I became a junior doctor, I became quite political. There was a lovely woman called Ruth Gilbert, known as Red Ruth, who sort of politicised me and said, it's really not acceptable junior doctors work 120 hours a week and kill patients when they're tired and et cetera. But I couldn't quite take the British Medical Association seriously. So the comedy double act I formed, Struck Off and Die with Tony Gardner, uh, was about going to the Edinburgh Fringe telling very dark stories of uh, killing patients when we were tired and then burning the notes and burying the x-rays and laughing it off in the mess. Wow. And it was really dark. I mean, really dark. And the BBC came and recorded it. Oh. Uh, and it was at midnight in some old Masonic Lodge in Edinburgh. And then they replayed it after the Archers. On, oh, no. On about no. 6.30 in the evening. It got record numbers of complaints to the Broadcasting Standards Council. Brilliant. And we were famous. And then we got invited to the BBC Light Entertainment Christmas Party. And Great. I met Ian Hislop, the editor of Private Eye, and followed him to the toilet and said, can I have a column in Private Eye? And, but all... All you know, you don't really plan a comedy career, but all the lucky breaks I got stemmed from the fact that we would tell the most outrageous, shocking black anecdotes. And as I've grown older and matured a bit, I don't do that. But we got caught out because we used to do this gag up at the Edinburgh Fringe where we'd say, you know, our, our local heart surgery unit is known as the Killing Fields uh, and the Departure Lounge. And people would roar with laughter. And there's a BBC recording of this. And then later we found out at the bit of the heart surgery unit that was actually having struggle for struggling was the paediatric cardiac surgery oh, unit. Oh. And I'd started writing for Private Eye and I investigated the story and found out that far too many babies were dying at Bristol oh, compared to you, other units. It, it was the first out. story I wrote in Private Eye in mm. 1992. Famous became story. what was then the largest public inquiry in British history, but it took until 2000. And I'm summoned to cause, call, give evidence. And that's oh. when you realise you start off thinking you can do comedy about stuff that matters. And then when it gets really serious, it suddenly isn't funny. And I remember I took the witness down at the public inquiry and this shit-hot QC said, Dr. Hammond, when you refer to the Bristol unit as the killing fields and the departure lounge, that's oh, medical humour, is it? Oh, no. And that was my opening thing. And What did you I say? I said, well, yes. you have to understand the context. And that is, it is interestingly, because in my experience, that's how medical humour works. So every hospital I trained at would have a surgeon called Killer Keen or Chopper Charlton or the Terminator. And you'd sort of laugh at it. And these were people who'd given their lives and often their liver to the NHS. They worked 120 hours a week. You couldn't fault their dedication, but you wouldn't really want them operating on your dog. And But nobody wanted to muck up their pension, so nobody blew the whistle. So the, the thing that I did with the help of a very brave whistleblower called Steve Bolson, who was the anaesthetist who, who blew the whistle in Bristol, was to say, actually, doctors should speak up. You can, you can make jokes about it in the medical school bar. You can run away to the Edinburgh Fringe and laugh about it. But actually, if you're working in a situation where people are dying avoidably, uh, you need to speak up. So that's, that's a sort of... You know, it's terrible when comedians go through a serious phase, but I went through a serious phase for a while doing all this Bristol stuff and various other whistleblowing stories. And now I've calmed down a bit and I'm going back to being a bit more relaxed oh, and funny again. Oh, fantastic. But, but, but it's a challenge after the pandemic, isn't it? You know, 150,000 people have died. How are we going to start laughing again? Um, and I said I'm my biggest error probably ever I predicted on Twitter that more people would die falling down the stairs than from SARS. 
I predicted that in January, uh, when the Chinese had released the genome for their virus and we're going to have a test. And I thought, well, that'll be fine. We've got really good public experts, health experts in this country. We'll all be preparing for a pandemic. We'll be able to close it down like we did in SARS with 2002 and it won't be a pandemic. Uh, but it doesn't sound so funny now. And I'm thinking, can I use this as comedy material? Can I walk <laughs> on stage and say, I predicted more people would fall down the stairs than from SARS and some people might find it funny and some would be hugely offended. So it's, I think the rules have changed. I think we're less, you know, it's, it's fine taking the piss out of yourself, but I think we're far more wary now of, of taking on big issues because uh, someone will be offended somewhere. And they yeah, have their, but somebody's always going to be offended, aren't yeah. they? So you just have to, I think hmm. you have I to think, kind of just do, as long as you sort of relate it to yourself and your experiences, then then you just think, well, you can be offended on behalf of other people if you want to. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is difficult, isn't it? I remember uh, having conversations with Ian Hislop because I was covering the pandemic all the way through and then Boris Johnson gets ill. And Ian's um, really thinking, she's, you know, what do we put on the cover if he dies? Is it, how do you, you know, it was a real, it's, it's yeah. as these things unfold, they are really interesting. But he did, um, he did dice with death a bit. He's a bit of a risk taker, I think, uh, Mr. Johnson. And he was shaking hands with people in hospital and not taking it seriously. And it nearly got him. So, yeah. Uh, weird. Yeah. Good, to, good to be cautious. It's something you don't really want at whatever age. I wouldn't advise uh, coronavirus infection. No. <laughs> No, no, don't try and avoid that. it. Try and avoid it if you can. If you squat on a loo, will you avoid coronavirus infection? That's what we need to know. In the right position, yeah. wearing yes. a mask. Yes. You see, the squatty potty comes into its own. Twenty nine ninety nine from Amazon saved my arsehole, Phil. Absolutely saved my arsehole. Louise, Louise, what? Um, what? will you? You, I know you printed off a listener letter. Will you? Mm. Um, will you read it out for yes, us? Yes, I will. Phil, we do this thing where we read uh, drunken stories from our listener. Okay. Um, and I've got two here, which I'm going to share. And we're not allowed oh. to we're not allowed to say the person's name, but okay. I'm just going to call them Faye, Doctor Philip Poppers, or something. That's her name. I had a housemate at uni who got so pissed when she woke up, she realised she was really late for an assessment. She dived back into her clothes, looking like shit, and headed out. As she was crossing a main street in Liverpool, she realised why her jeans didn't feel quite right. As she looked down to see the previous night's knickers falling out of the leg of her jeans. It was a busy street. Mm. We've all done that, haven't we? Mm. Please. Uh, so having to make a quick decision, didn't re- she didn't retrieve them. She, so she had to see her hangover pants every day for the next two weeks of leaving her flax. They fell on the street. That's her first story. And her second story was... I once got so pissed that I woke up in bed next to someone and I had to raise the covers to find out what sex they were. Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Doesn't matter, though, does it? What matters is whether you enjoyed it. Exactly. And nothing to do with what sex they were. No, exactly. It was enjoyable. Exactly. Have you ever found yourself in that position, Phil? I don't think so, but I've often not had my glasses on. I've got my minus eight in both eyes, so I'm pretty vulnerable without my glasses oh. on first thing in the morning. So I have... Sometimes I can remember as a student waking up and not realising there was somebody in the bed. That was slightly awkward. Oh. But, you know, these, these things happen. Yeah. Have you ever done, done your Consent surgery? Consent is the important thing. Yes, exactly, well, yes. Phil. You really are kind, aren't you now? You're very, mm. you know, you're very yeah. on. You're woke, I think, is the word I'm looking for. I'm, you a, I'm a role model, I think, you're fine. A role oh. model, there we go. Mm. There oh, we go. Jesus, please don't be. Um, <laughs> have you ever done a surgery and one of your knickers has fallen out the, your trouser leg during the middle of a surgery? No, no, I haven't done that. I'm thinking of knickers stories. I remember a mate of mine 
very angry at a party, the, the traumatic split up with his girlfriend at his girlfriend's birthday party. This is the meanest thing ever. And he was so upset. You know, there's always a room at a party where people put their coats mm. and it was in his girlfriend's bedroom. So he went up there with a jar of Marmite and he smeared Marmite and all their knickers and left them on the floor. That's a really mean trick, isn't it? That's, that's hilarious. That's, that's a, a bad, brilliant idea. That's a bad knicker trick when you're, you know. Oh. Doctors are like, doctors are very clever, but a bit bitter and peculiar. I think that's oh. generally quite Do you think it's just, yeah, just They the, don't um, take rejection well. <laughs> they just kill them <laughs> and then just change the medical notes. Oh, well, um, well, Mar- I'm sort of. Marmite knickers. I wouldn't jam, you jam knickers or you could do all sorts, couldn't you? Have you ever treated somebody while you've been very hungover? Not recently. I mean, I, would, I can remember as a junior doctor going to mess parties in the week and so feeling a bit whatever, but I don't think... No, not recently necessarily. I wouldn't... Not, not now you're woke. I can't think to the extent that it made me any more than the usually minimally competent I was... Uh, I've never missed. I've never had a day off work. It's rather extraordinary. In what I'm 59 now, never had a day off. Well, I did one. I had viral meningitis once, which oh, required and you did yeah, you took work. time off work. Fucking hell, well, Phil. Very quickly, but I was. I then had to have a lumbar puncture. One of the medical students I taught communication skills uh, had to give me the lumbar puncture because I had meningitis, and he looked at me and he went, "Fuck me, it's you." Which I thought, oh. "Thank God I taught him communication yes. skills." Yes. <laughs> and then he kept missing. I don't know if you, you have to get oh. in the fetal position in your pants. So you're oh. there with one of your so students. You you're do. in the fetal position in your pants. And he uh-huh. kept missing with a lumbar puncture needle. Nervous because uh, it was I, you. I wondered That's whether me. he was nervous or whether he might be a bit hungover. But you just take it on the chin. Anyway, then, I survived. It wasn't pleasant. That's the worst thing I've ever had, a lumbar puncture. Didn't like that very much. Never had one. Ooh. Don't want no, one now. Avoid that one. Avoid that. You don't need it. No. So I'm getting out of your question. I don't know what the answer is. It's not something that Can't I have. I remember as- the question, to be honest. No, moving, moving on there. Moving yeah, on. Fuck it. I tell Who you what we, what, what we will do, actually, because we've got a little Patreon page and we will give a little shout out, won't we? To We've said we'll give a shout out to our Patreons. And if you want to join our Patreon page, then you can at Patreon. Don't even know the address. Spit or but Swallow. Spit or Swallow podcast. You can find yeah. that. And you yeah. can support the podcast. And we said we'd give a shout out. So we're going to give a little shout out to you can shout out, Lou. Oh, Cable. Yeah, Phil, Kay is a gem of a woman. Every week, without fail, she advertises our podcast for us. And Phil doesn't stop. She doesn't stop. She's relentless. And she's the sort of woman that you want on your side. Um, Good. And yeah, she's she'd, get, she'd have got that BBC One program on prime time. She, she would have oh, yeah. overridden Prince she's Harry. In charge of the vaccine rollout, isn't she? she, she probably she's is. the sort of person you want. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Cable, cable, yeah, yeah. cable, yeah. B U L L, not cable television, but cable, okay. cable, cable. Right. cable. Yeah. Should we get in, her on it? Should we go in with a final question then, Sally? There's two final questions, Lou. You always yes, forget. Sorry. You always forget I the always reason for the podcast, them. but yes, you, do I do. Your, you do your you do your <laughs> penultimate question. Go on, Lou. Doctor Philip of Hammond, let's oh. imagine that you've got a spittoon in front of you, and it's got the shrapnel and the spitting of what excesses of somebody, right? And you have to drink it. Whose spittoon would you drink? Wow. Yep. That's really interesting. So you're thinking so you need somebody with good mouth hygiene, mm. I'm guessing. Mm. 
Who do we know and have really good mouth hygiene? I just went like that with my teeth, cleaning mm. them as if I was going to like offer yeah. you mine for a minute. Mm. Mm. Get the mouth socks hygiene. off. Mm. Mm. The Kahlua socks. Mm. I'm, I'm on neat Kahlua now, by the way. I can see that. Mm. You, you, your neck's gone red. I know. I thought she. I do that, Doctor Phil. I get. I get. There might be a slight allergy. You have got a slight allergy, haven't you? There. Mm. Yeah. Well, it doesn't stop again. That's your antihistamine. You need to have one of those. I just told you you not to, but you might need one this evening. Who's spittoon? Mm. Gosh. Jacinda Arden. Oh yes. Jacinda Arden spittoon. Prime Minister, Minister of New Zealand, Zealand who's yeah. been slightly yeah. ahead of the curve and yeah. managed to stop the pandemic. And she did a budget on a people and planet budget. I mean, what planet is she on? She said, let's make health of people and our planet our paramount political concern. I mean, she's so way ahead of the curve compared to our politicians. What did she uh, say that again? Repeat that. She said, she, she said that we should make welfare of people and planet are paramount political concern. So every policy is seen through the prism of what's it doing to the welfare of people, particularly the poorest, what's it doing to our planet? So every political policy you make, you judge it on those criteria. She's a star, so Uh, I would happily drink at her spittoon and hopefully say hello to her. And also, what's that thing when you put all those, the first letter of a word, what's the thing when it's alliteration? Alliteration. alliteration. Oh, that's what you mean, yes. Yes, Yes. that that involved, wasn't there? Yeah, all of them. Yeah. So, the final question, which Lou always forgets, the reason for the podcast is, is it a spit or a swallow? Is it a spit or a swallow? The grind coffee, we go back to the original, the grind coffee from Shoreditch, no less. Uh, From via my daughter Ellie. Yeah, so you'll, be, you'll be dissing. You'll be dissing my daughter Ellie if you spit this. Well, um, when will you see Ellie again? Do you know? Uh, where by podcast every week or by Zoomy, whatever face to face? Face to face, I'm not sure. To be honest, oh. soon. Well, I have actually swallowed all of it. I finished it oh, with the vodka, mm-hmm. which is why I've moved on to the Kahlua because I didn't. I didn't have the forethought to get myself. Is that why you're coffees. slightly flushed? Is you've got that little flush? It always happens. Always, happens. always, <laughs> always yeah. brings yeah. up the flush. Brings up the flush. If that's the right expression, See, it's slightly pissed Kahlua. now as well. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a swallow from me. I've really enjoyed this coffee. I've seen Good. this on in my friends' houses, and I've always gone, "Oh, they're really rich." Because it's, you know, quite pricey. Um, it's not like Nescaf. No, that's, I think it's compostable quality. as well. I think yes. the capsule is compostable as far as I'm aware, that you can put it in your compost. I, I, I've got, um, so, I don't have, I'm not posh like you two. I've got um, ground, oh, yeah. oh shit, I've just tipped it everywhere. Oh, what a dick. <laughs> uh, I've got ground coffee and that was delicious. Have you tried composting these though, Phil? No, but no. apparently you can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much yeah. for joining us. You've been Thanks, a delight to chat to. Um, glad Lou didn't ask you any more of her medical questions. No, I will but keep she you may well email you yeah. with them. I will sure keep you will. abreast Perhaps of a little them. Snapchat with the bell problem would be appropriate. Yeah, I think so. Thanks. An Insta, an Insta bell <laughs> update. <laughs> Thanks. Trust Thank me. You. But honestly, get in the squatty position, make sure your wee is straw-coloured or lighter, mm-hmm. and a shot of that coffee, a few fibrous vegetables, Bob's your uncle. He is as well. Is Thank you. Right? <laughs> right. can, can I go now? I've, yes! I've, I've, I've said enough. Spit or Swallow is produced by Amanda Redman. If you want to get in touch with us about what you thought about the drinks that we've tried or recommendations of your own or you feel like sharing your worst drunken story with us, then please do. On Twitter and Insta, we are at Lou and Sally. Facebook and TikTok is Spit or Swallow Podcast. 
or email us at spitorswallowpodcast34, that's the numbers 34, at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please subscribe and leave us a review because this helps other people find us. And if you want to support the podcast, then go to www.patreon.com forward slash podcast where you can find some bonus content. Thanks to Acast for hosting us, but most of all, thanks to you lot for listening. That's all for now. See you next time. Bye!